Ashton here with Love Life and Disability. Hi everyone and welcome to Love Life and Disability with me, Kay Ashton. Today I'm joined by Sean. Now Sean is an actor, writer and a filmmaker who has been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome four years ago. And since then, he has been navigating life as a newly disabled person. He has also been casted as autistic characters and is currently writing a show about understanding neurodiversity. Sean is here today to tell us more. Hi, Sean, and welcome to Love Life and Disability. Hello, Kay. Uh, it's, it's awesome to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very excited. <laughs> so as many of my listeners may know, Asperger's syndrome is a... Um, neurodiversity condition it's part of the nd family and not a lot of people may have come across it and i was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about what asperger's is um okay so uh i yeah sometimes i feel like i, I should do more re- research on this because it affects me in quite a bit um but so asperger's is so some people say Asperger's, some people say Asperger, and I think, I don't have this on good authority, that Asperger was a uh, Nazi scientist, uh, so that's so the Asperger name, so it's, uh, it's interested to possibly be stemmed from a Nazi and then how they were doing research into uh, superhumans, so uh, <laughs> if in an alternate universe maybe oh, cool. autistic people are the uh, elite. Um, but and then so Asperger's or um, stems from autism, which is it's all on a big spectrum. And I believe uh, don't double quote uh, don't quote me on this. Uh, Asperger's are more uh, high functioning, so they'd um, perhaps have less difficulties with uh, sensory overload. Maybe things aren't colours aren't quite as bright or uh, sounds aren't quite as loud as they are for other people on the autistic spectrum. Um, however, is yeah, it's it's a spectrum, and there's I think there's still a lot of research to be done um, until we can say it's this or that sort of thing. How was that for you being diagnosed later on in life? Uh, it was it was very odd. So uh, yeah, so I've had it my entire life. You're sort of born with it, and I think um, it's I always struggled a bit with um, making friends and um, sort of. Uh, understanding how to uh, uh, banter and stuff like that at school. It was always uh, a little bit tricky. Um, and then, so you sort of, you grow up and you always think there's, there's something a little bit different, but then to um, to get that diagnosis, uh, it was, yeah, I think it was a, definitely a sigh of relief that you know that, you know, you're not going going mad or anything. There is a, a reason behind it all. Um, but then also you end up, uh, having a label, which um, is, um, I think it, it's, it can be beneficial. So then you can understand, again, get more of an understanding, do some research if you're good and not like me. And, um, but it can also label you and you think, okay, this is what I am. I should fit in this box now. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it, it was difficult, especially going through, because I was about 20, 21 or something when I got um diagnosed it's a you know quite a big big part of life I think um so um yeah if if that answers it was uh it was it was monumentous I think is a a good word to to say so you spoke there about like growing up that the signs were there like family and friends may have come across these how do you find talking about your diagnosis is it because with this condition and similar to some of my own it's hidden 
so sometimes people be like oh you don't look disabled because they just don't get it like not all disabilities are the universal symbol of a wheelchair some are hidden like ours so how do you go navigate in those conversations um oh that's yeah that's always tricky i find it's uh well it's it's a bit like um i find it's almost like coming out sort of thing uh you know having to to tell someone that you're you're gay or uh, or you're autistic or whatever because um yeah it's completely hidden so um and then you sort of uh feel this there's this um stigma or expectation around uh being disabled or whatever um so it, um yeah there is quite a bit of anxiety about having to to share this uh sort of personal thing and in fact i've i i struggle with it i don't um because i also i don't like to sort of make a, a big deal about it as well yeah um but i'm i'm currently trying to do a show a bit difficult in lockdown like a, a performance uh where i in the lead up i would sort of tell more people and then um sort of try and try and explain it to an audience um but yeah it's uh yeah it's it's just the something you can sort of carry around like a almost like a, a secret identity um but also there yeah there is anxiety about telling people do you get a sense of relief even though you have the anxiety when it's telling somebody is once you have told somebody is it like a weight off your shoulders or does that depend on how the person may react um I'd say yeah it is yeah there is a, a sort of yeah there is a nice relief and I think you know uh almost like a problem shared is a problem halved or something yeah. so uh, it's just yeah it's nice to to be able to confide in someone but then also I do find that once again with the expectation thing with once I tell someone then I'm possibly maybe is it more likely to to um let these um attributes uh, is, traits of autism let them be more visible to the person I've shared it with or perhaps I'm even putting it on I don't, I don't know but um it yeah I think uh once it's once it's out there you feel like you have to almost live up to the name um I think or maybe I don't understand myself maybe I even uh, I just feel more comfortable around people that I've um exposed not exposed myself to but um that I've <laughs> told, told that I am yes yeah, no exposing um yeah <laughs> awesome and you're in a loving relationship yourself at the moment so it's clearly not stopped you finding love but was that difficult with your struggles growing up um forming relationships and friendships um i think so yeah definitely with uh well, i went to an all, boy, all boys school so um yeah it wasn't uh much of a, an expectation i think to, to have a girlfriend um so but it was difficult making friends i think and then i ended up i was hanging out with these um people that i thought were my friends but i think then one day at this moment of clarity i was like we were walking back from school and i was stood at the back of the group and no one was really talking to me and i was like well that's that's not what friends do uh so i just went off and i left them and then i made um two other friends that were much much better friends later on um so it's, it's happy ending uh, so I think, yeah, it, it is difficult to, to make friends and to to understand all that, um, you know, the um, social social interaction side of things and so much more to, to read than just everything at face value. Um, and then with with girlfriends, I, I always wanted because I watched all those um, sort of 
teen, teen rom-coms and like um, 500 Days of Summer. I love that film. And so I always wanted a, a, a perfect girlfriend like that did, but I didn't even understand the proper meaning of the film. Um, and so there was, yeah, I did end up sort of getting quite emotionally attached to if there was a girl that showed interest mm -hmm. and then um, probably coming on too strong and then, uh, yeah, yeah, sort of going into nothing. But um, I've, uh, I think I've, I've learned some of those lessons now and I'm, I'm getting better, <laughs> better at it. So you are a fantastic partner. You know, there is no messing around there, beating around the bush because a little birdie tells me tomorrow um, upon the point of filming this is it's your partner's birthday and you're going to be cooking like literally a free course meal like <laughs> I've never had a guy cook for me like this like where am I going wrong oh my goodness um <laughs> gets um I think if if you just uh get someone that likes to cook and then you flat out refuse to cook uh then then they should do it that's that's my situation at least but uh, yeah, it is, it is my girlfriend's birthday tomorrow. So um, doing, we've ordered steak uh, from the butchers, like fancy ones. And then we're doing potatoes, dauphinois, mac and cheese, uh, cream spinach, and all garlic mushrooms. And then I have, well, I've bought a frozen tartar tan, so that's, that's the easy bit. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's what I do. She, I do the cooking, she does the, the washing up. So it's all, it all, where balances out. I'd agree with that. Now the deal breaker question: How do you ref your steak? Ooh, um, I go for medium rare. Uh, she likes it like really rare, but I think medium rare just so you've got a little bit of crisp on the outside, and uh, yeah, not not too chewy. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Medium rare. Yeah. Oh, when my mum used to make it, it was like well done. It's like I'm, I'd be still here now eating it if my mum was cooking steak. <laughs> but my dad and on holiday, I was at um, the Golden Coral in the States and they do um, steaks and it's basically all you can eat steak. And I'd asked for it to be well done because that's all I knew at that point. And because mm. they're just churning it off and they were just, they just threw it to me, I took it back and I eat and I thought, oh, this is really nice. And then my dad said, oh, that was mine, that one. And yeah, that was medium. So I was like, oh, it's really yeah. nice. And, <laughs> and now I'm learning to cook myself. Everything tends to be medium rare anyway, because I'm like, have I left it long enough? so yes. yeah it's really it's really good oh absolutely yeah uh and do you do you like make the the pan like super hot when you cook the steak yeah that's, well, the, that's way. the best way to do it i've been told and not to mm. warm it up with your steak on no yeah you want that like like almost like smoking hot and then chuck it on for like two minutes and it like yeah it goes all crispy on the outside oh, Perfect. Love it. <laughs> and moving over to your acting career so you're yes. an actor <laughs> And you wanted to um, be an actor at, at what point? What got you inspired to the acting? Um, most most likely uh, when I was at secondary school, and we do um, like so we do a annual school play, and they were always Shakespeare. And then I I can't remember. I think I just I had yeah I had to do drama. It was uh, when I was like in year nine. And then I thought they're doing the school play. Oh, I'll, I'll pop in. I was Julius Caesar and I was like um, citizen number four or something. <laughs> uh, but it was it was good fun. And then, but then the next year we do a play called um, The Comedy of Errors to which oh, okay. there's uh, two sets of twins. Uh, one set is like 
the master, two masters and their twins, and then two servants to the masters and their twins as well. And I was one of the servants, so sort of a secondary role. Okay. And then that was, yeah. and it, that was a, a comedy. And um, I, I did pretty well <laughs> in it. And um, so that, yeah, and that, that sort of sparked it. Then then next year I, I was Hamlet and then next year was um, Macbeth. So um, yeah, I think that was, that taught me uh, a lot about acting and um, the the joys of performing. But I, th I think um, that one of the reasons I like it so much is that um, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's, there's a script. So um, in, in real life, there there is no script, sadly. So if someone says uh, something bizarre to me, I, I don't really know how to respond, especially, you know, I don't want to, to offend them or to, to be too too friendly or something to, you know, have to read the the uh, context yeah but in a in a play in a film and just with a script um i can i know exactly what they're going to say i know what i'm going to say i know what i'm going to do more or less um so it, yeah, it just makes life a lot more easier and then you can um play about within those those confines that's definitely yeah. a different way of looking at it i never thought um of that before so that's, that's really interesting and I guess as well, it's you're being somebody else as well. So then it that could also be an interesting way to look at it. In what we were speaking about before, it's being behind another identity almost. Hmm. I think so. Yeah. And like part of, um, well, part of being an actor, they say you have to be obsessed with watching people, and that uh, I suppose that's something that uh, most people with autism as well have to do they have to sort of watch facial features body language because mm -hmm. you have to work just that bit harder to to understand them they don't come naturally so um yeah i think i think i do have uh, i think it, it kind of works quite nicely part parts of the job parts of the jobs are quite difficult <laughs> for me um but uh, some of the more creative parts i think work quite nicely with um, autism and do you have a preference whether or not you want to go more into the theatre industry or more TV or film? Oh, um, I, I would love to if I just had a was in a play, and then that was you know it was but I was uh, enough to live on because some plays you don't make much money, sadly. Um, but I'd be totally happy just doing a play for the rest of my life because well maybe some different plays over the years. Um, because yeah, you have the whole play and it goes start to finish every night. And then there's always room for a bit of improvisation and, but you're there with the audience. So when you say something, they laugh, uh, we say something funny, they laugh, do something sad, they cry. Um, so you get that sort of instant, uh, gratification, but with, with a, a film set, it's completely different. You know, you, you start at the end of the day and you're only there with, uh, one person. And then um, I mean, spend the rest rest of the day just in a tiny little room with a bunch of people watching you that aren't allowed to react because they're not allowed to make any noises. As and it's it's all about the um, the technical aspects where to put the camera, where to put the bisbrush brush. Um, so yeah, I find uh, as an actor, the theatre is yeah much better, but uh, film is where the money is. <laughs> uh, you're telling me. Should be the other way around, but maybe one day. What's well, your thoughts on the non-disabled people playing disabled roles? Uh, um, I think if, uh, so it's, it's a tricky one because 
for some roles, for example, uh, I remember in Glee, that uh, TV show, there was the, the guy in the wheelchair, but he, uh, an act, the actor doesn't need a wheelchair. And, um, you know, it was this big thing like, oh, they're, they're being so diverse. They've got uh, so inclusive with their characters. One of them has a wheelchair. The actor wasn't actually in a wheelchair. Um, and only, I think only once there was a bit where the, uh, the character gets up and dances in like a, a dream sequence or something. So they, yeah, they would, they needed a, an able-bodied person to, to be able to play that role because of that scene. But if they didn't, I think they, they should have used someone in a wheelchair just because they're providing these, um, opportunities and they're, in a way, they're ex they're kind of exploiting people with disabilities by using them to create stories and to to draw an audience. Yeah. Um, and then they're also creating these role models for people to look up to that are in the same position. So I think, yeah, they should be be as true as possible. But th there are um, some scenarios where it's um, it's I don't know, say it saves a lot of money or it's uh, is uh just more logistical uh like just more viable to use an able-bodied person portraying the same person because if i yeah. recall correctly in wicked there's a lady who starts off in the wheelchair but then later on she gets her legs and then she's able to dance around the stage again i think in that situation having somebody that's able-bodied playing disabled has to work for that because later on they're going to be dancing around the stage and singing and the, the point of that was that well I think that, that they had the wish granted and she got macrishly recorded by, by, by the witch so then mm. she's got her legs back working where if you're, you are I guess depending on your disability um, if you if you were confined to a wheelchair that wouldn't work because then you wouldn't be able to do that next part of the theatre performance whereby if you're somebody that might be on crutches but uses a wheelchair for long distance walking, then maybe that could have been somebody that is fully disabled playing that role. Hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think um, like it's, it's, it is tricky because there's so many, you know, it's even with uh, like obviously uh, autism is a spectrum, so everyone's a bit different. But then also I think with um, people, in, uh, you know, uh, missing an arm, you could be missing a hand, you could be missing a forearm or you could be permanently in a wheelchair sometimes in the wheelchair so it's yeah I think there there is definitely um opportunities to be more inclusive and instead of just saying they need to be completely able-bodied full stop I think yeah there, there should be more more leeway into what we get because I guess as well it can be quite difficult if it's a hidden disability to showcase a hidden disability on screen unless it's referenced within the script which hmm. I guess brings me quite nicely over to the you're a writer yourself so where do you feel it starts is it down to the writer to be writing parts for disabled people or is it down to the writer to just write generic parts but the casting director to go we're having that person so the best person for the role it just so happens they have a disability Ooh. um i think so if the writer has made um a, a tv show let's say about someone with autism and that writer is not autistic or doesn't really have an affinity with um, autism and that the 
like the whole thing is just about them being autistic though and living an autistic life then that yeah I think ideally the writer would be autistic so they know what they're talking about when they're writing it or they have some people thing it uh, but then the actor should definitely be autistic mm -hmm. uh, because that's what the whole show's about if um if it's like a that's a I don't know another a sort of a yeah that's I think that's a sort of be all end all. Uh, but then with with what did you say with the casting director? They if they could just like choose say oh actually you know we're going to have someone in a wheelchair for this role instead. Yeah, so say if it's like a, a new family that was coming into I don't know let's say Coronation Street, um, is that down to the writer to be saying that that let's say, let's call the person Bob? Bob's going to be in a wheelchair and we're going to write his condition into the script. Or should that role be casted on the best person for the role? And it just so happens he has a disability in which it then can come into the storyline later on if required. Because if we take Jade in Casualty, um, who's played by Gabrielle, is to my understanding, every time I've watched Casualty, her, she's just an A&E, working in A&E. E, her role isn't around her being DDF hard of hearing. It's she, she, She's... She's doing her job uh, as like a nurse in the in the A and E department, and they will sign to her, like they would do if you were in an actual hospital and you were hard of hearing. It, it her hearing's very rarely brought up into the into the script. Only right at the start of COVID, where they was all wearing face masks, and then they changed her role slightly in an A and E department because she wasn't able to lip read. But that was brought into the script at that point, and when she met her mum as well. But other than that, I, I've never really seen it on a regular basis where her hearing's brought up into the script to say, are you hard of hearing or there's a reference to it? Um, well, that, that sounds really good because that's made me think um, if, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, uh, I think that's great what they've done on, uh, the whole city was it? Um, some casualty. Um, or casualty. She's a fantastic because... actress and she is also DDF hard of hearing herself as well, so it's it's not someone pretending to be she she actually is which is which is incredible yeah oh that, that i think that's yeah that's a i think that's the right way to go about it because they've got uh they've chosen the best person for the job and then they've taken on board okay uh she's hard of hearing so um how can we use this but they've not like exploited it and you know said she actually, i can't remember, i can't think of it on my head some crazy crazy way to, to put it into a story but they they're just writing a normal story and then they've got COVID and then not being able to lip read is something that that will affect um, all people that are hard of hearing at the moment so and then so real issues are being um, brought up and um, yeah. looked at so yeah I think I think that's that's awesome um, I think yeah I'd, I'd like to see see more of that please <laughs> not the only one so as well you do quite a lot of filmmaking so what kind of filmmaking is it that you do with uh, with filmmaking, it's um, I'm mostly working uh, as a runner, or I'm currently a production manager, which sounds fancy. Um, so mostly like production sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but yeah, so uh, still looking to, to sort of get thing, things off the ground and uh, get get some some money <laughs> coming in to uh, to finance some some films. Brilliant. And what kind of production managing would you say um, you're more interested in? Would you say more documentaries, um, fact saints? What, what's your favourite? Um, I think at the moment it's definitely uh, just short films, I think, because uh, they're always 
you're not like stuck in a studio all day. You're always on a different location, which provide, uh, presents different um, problems and opportunities. Uh, and then it's always um, a bit of a different uh, different format. Um, maybe you're making a thriller one day, making a rom-com the other day. Um, so yeah, I think this, I like I like to have a bit of variation. I wouldn't because yeah, part of the reason I do this sort of work is I can't imagine being um, sat in an office <laughs> nine to five. Totally yeah, doing different things all the time. Um, yeah. And do you feel having the filmmaking experience, such as in production management, gives you an, an appreciation and as an understanding as an actor and a writer? Because you've then seen things full circle, so you can appreciate how long something made to write, to write and craft, but then also how your actors may feel on set and how difficult it could be to cast as well. Um. I think so. Yeah. Well, the the um, the reason I got because I, I did a master's in filmmaking, and that was to really um, just because I didn't want to stop being a student, but also to <laughs> <laughs> there is that fear, um, but also to inform my like being an actor um, yeah. on a film set or whatever. Uh, just because I'd done it a couple times on like little shoots and felt a bit lost. Um, but then, yeah, I did sort of develop more of an understanding of the, the process and that, yeah, definitely be able to appreciate it more. And on a, a recent shoot, I'm the um, sound recordist. And but I'm also I find myself because I've worked as an actor, I can sort of put myself in their shoes more, the actor's shoes. So um, they, if like for one bit, the actor was just sort of like left lying on the cold floor. Um, as they were setting up a shot and nobody had like given her a blanket or sort of okay. checked that she's or anything. So um, yeah, I, I'm able to sort of see see things from that perspective a bit more and um, yeah, make sure that everyone's everyone's all good. So at the moment you're writing a show about understanding neurodiversity. Uh, yes. Tell me more. <laughs> um, well, it's, yeah, it was, um, I was looking at doing it in Edinburgh uh, fringe in 2020 but that, okay. that didn't happen. um and <laughs> um but it's and I be, I'm trying to write it about um autism and I think that's that's almost a bit I'm exploiting so that'll get audiences in because it's actually got um because otherwise I don't really have anything to talk about <laughs> um, but it's um yeah part of it is sort of coming out as as autistic and which um yeah is is a straight strange thing for me and um i'll do it sort of i'll tell this uh, room hopefully room full of people that i don't know that um autistic and then try and try and explain it by whilst uh doing some sort of humor and entertainment yeah and yeah. then um what was it oh and then at the end and it's just all about talking about uh, now being a, a minority because you know I'm a, a straight white male so my whole life I've not really uh, uh, been part of a, a small community uh, or a minority. One so. in 20 now. Yeah. <laughs> well one in five I think yeah 20% of the UK. What are, what are disabled or? Yeah, 20%. Uh, disabled but then, and then even small autistic and then perhaps an even smaller one for Asperger's syndrome so it is fun but how, however I think if you think about if you get very specific everyone's a minority you know not everyone has curly brown hair and green <laughs> eyes or something it's, it's definitely uh, a different way to look at it <laughs> I think so and um but that, that's something that's something I think like I think eventually because we've got 
things like um so it was i think you know there was used to be a time where it was blanket disabled for everybody um but now and now we're getting uh, more specific which is good because everyone has different needs but then i think in the in the future it might get to a point where everyone is just now a minority and because everybody sort of wants to be uh, in a way wants to be special and have a you know identity. have a, a group an identity absolutely um so and then uh yeah and that, that'll be interesting to see how we negotiate that it definitely will be because there's more and more different disabilities that um coming coming out if i'm to take my own we know if i Back in the day for me when I was a wee nipper growing up, there was only type one and type two, but I heard the other day we've now got type six and I'm like, that's news to me. There's, there's, there's now another one and I think there's even a type three. I'm wondering if there's a four and a five as well, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there are always new things coming about all the time. But where can people go to find out some more information about yourself? About me? Um, ooh, that's very, uh, I'm not very good at sharing things on, online. Uh, you can. <laughs> can follow me on instagram uh at sean mca uh that's sean's spelled the irish way or um or if you type in my name in uh youtube i think you can see like um uh, uh, the man who needs no introduction which is a, a 10 minute sketch that i did that's quite funny that'd be cool to link to i'm sure our followers oh. would love to see that and see if you work Oh, lovely. Yeah, well, I, I hope they enjoy it. Please, please leave kind feedback. <laughs> well, you heard it all there, guys. If you want to go check out Sean, please do head over to his YouTube page. We will be putting links below, so go out, check it out. And thank you so much for coming along today, Sean. Oh, no worries. It's, it's been lovely chatting with you. So, yeah, it's been thank a good uh, conversation. <laughs> I hope the birthday goes fantastic tomorrow and I'll be well jealous of this steak. Oh, I, yes. Uh, any of my new Instagram followers will see the, <laughs> the stick on there. Good envy. <laughs> <laughs>